This podcast was first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on Fresh FM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. This is Fresh FM, your community access radio station, broadcasting across the top of the South in Nelson, Tasman on 104.8, Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, Blenheim on 88.9, and the Nelson CBD on 107.2, and streaming to the planet through our website, freshfm.net. Welcome to our show, Heads Up. Brought to you by the Brain Injury Association, Top of the South, with help from the Neurological Foundation, playing Thursday mornings following the BBC News at 9am. Special mention to our fantastic sponsors, the Nelson Clinic, and of course, Fresh FM for making this show happen. We're very excited to announce the Neurological Foundation will be collaborating with us on the show and providing some amazing content. We'll have interviews with renowned doctors and scientists and information and education. A little bit about the Neurological Foundation, if you're unaware, uh, is a New Zealand charity that funds vital research and ongoing education into neurological conditions, which includes diseases and disorders of the brain, spine and nerves. The Foundation's sole focus is to work towards the treatment, management and prevention of the neurological conditions by funding research and education. One in five New Zealanders suffers from a neurological condition. A little bit around the Brain Injury Association and what we do is we provide advocacy for people, support, information and education to the top of the South. We help People navigate the health system after having a brain injury, which can be really hard work. Uh, We also have membership and support groups that we run weekly. These are a great way for people to keep socialising and just to have support. You do not have to have a brain injury to come to these support groups. You can also be a family member living alongside brain injury because you also need some support too. Both the Brain Injury Association and the Neurological Foundation are not-for-profits and need your ongoing support to continue help people in our community. Head to these websites if you wish to donate. Braininjury.nz or neurological.org.nz Hi there everyone, it's Kelly Bain from the Neurological Foundation. Hope you're doing well and um, whatever level you're finding yourself in, you are faring well and comfortable. Uh, Today we've got Dr Nadia Borlase with us. Now Nadia is based at the Brain Research Institute in Christchurch and Nadia do you want to tell us what your research is? Hi everybody, so what I'm doing is looking at any brain changes that occur in people that were living in Canterbury at the time of the earthquakes. And what's really interesting about our arm of this research is that these people don't have any diagnosable psychiatric disorders, so they don't have anything like anxiety or depression or post-traumatic stress disorder, and we're really interested to see what their brains do just as the result of being here at the time of the earthquakes. How did you come to that? Like, How did you think this is something that's worth studying if there's nothing diagnosable? We um, are really lucky here that we have a close collaboration with the University of Otago and they have been looking into this sort of idea since the earthquakes because they have specialty in psychiatry and 
psychology and they started noticing that people were presenting with what we call subclinical symptoms. What does that mean? So they don't necessarily have major anxiety or anything like that, but they're also not quite okay. They're not quite right. There's something a bit funny. (laughs) But they, um, they don't meet any clinical criteria for anything to actually be wrong. And so they did a little bit of research in the psychology arm about what these people might be experiencing in terms of brain behaviour, and then we jumped on board that to see what their brains actually looked like. How did you get the... Sorry, I'm probably asking questions that you all would rather me ask, a few more in-depth ones, but first of all, how did you get that cohort? If they they volunteered themselves or the or Canterbury University said actually we've got this cohort that we already know isn't doing we, great. Um, so the University of Otago was very lucky in that they were actually running prior to the earthquakes they were running a big study on post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. and as part of that big study they had a control group so people where there was nothing wrong with them and so just luckily, I guess, right before the earthquakes, these people had gone through this entire psychiatric assessment just to be used as a comparison for our post-traumatic stress disorder study. And then after the earthquake, we then ended up with people that had psych assessment pre and post earthquake. So that's how we got them, just through pure blind luck. That's great. was <laughs> great. It's good. Yeah. Um, so the Neurological Foundation has funded this project and what is your wish like what's the hope that you can get out of this finding so my whole area of research and why i got into all of this is the idea of preventative neuroscience um Mm -hmm. and quite a lot of people um, subscribe to that the idea that if you can fix something before it's a proper problem it's cheaper and it's got better mental health outcomes for everybody and it's just an all-round more sensible way to tackle health issues and so i mean that's a pretty big goal which is well beyond the scope of just this project but we would like there to be more awareness of this um, you know subclinical symptomology where you might go to your GP and say I'm not feeling very okay like I'm just not quite right I'm having all these symptoms and your GP might assess you and say well actually on paper you're completely fine what we want out of this project is more awareness that yeah you might look fine and be acting mainly fine on paper but your brain might still be just a little bit different just because you've been exposed to the Canterbury quakes and so they say that the GP says well you don't fit into any of these ticks on the left but there's a few on the right that I have still got a bit of a query about and want to follow up what would happen ideally um, sadly, that's not entirely my area of expertise. Right, sorry. I would, I would hope that if there's enough flags, you'd be sent for a more in-depth okay. psychiatric or psychology assessment, depending on what the, you know, what you're presenting with. And so you had this great idea, had this fortuitous um, cohort of data already. How did, how did you actually, or how are you? Because it's still you're still doing it's still writing. Going, yes. You. Did MRIs on all these wonderful brains in Christchurch? We did. And then you had a control group in Dunedin. We recruited a brand new control group in Dunedin that weren't in Canterbury anywhere near the earthquakes and were just normal, healthy individuals. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I can't quite remember, so you might have to walk me through Mm -hmm. the process. You then interviewed them showed them some pictures I think didn't you yes yeah, so we're actually quite mean sadly 
Sadly, to um, look at brain response um, for this sort of thing, what we essentially have to do is trick the brain into thinking it's been exposed to trauma. Right. And um, because of ethics, you're not allowed to actually traumatise people while they're in the MRI machine. And to be honest, you'd never get any participants if it was like that. But what we do... Um, do is it's called an evocative stimulus paradigm and we essentially show people a series of pictures and some of the pictures are just completely normal you know a wee flower or a cup of coffee nothing that should cause any stress but some of the pictures are really nasty so things like gun violence or car accidents or surgical scenes or you know burns after fire things like that and what we're trying to do by showing people that is trick their brain into responding as if the brain is traumatised because obviously seeing pictures that aren't very nice sort of invokes quite a physiological response and you can see that in the brain. So we exposed everyone, our um, quake people that live in Christchurch and our control people that live in Dunedin, we exposed them all to the same pictures at the same times while in the scanner and we're just looking at differences in how the brain responds to those pictures. Was it quite immediate what you could see, the differences? Oh, sadly, um, fMRI, the way we do it, is not as cool as TV, so (laughs) it would be awesome if we could stand there and watch the brain lighting up to all the different pictures in real time, but um, in reality, it's just a whole lot of numbers and a whole lot of lines and a quite basic structural outline of the brain. But then we put all the data back and we do a whole lot of pre-processing and then a whole lot of analysis to look at the actual responses and so you spend, you know, three months doing a whole lot of data analysis to get one picture of a brain. Yeah, it's a long, it's a, it's a long job, isn't it? It is a long job. Um, <laughs> and, but you've, you're quite the way through it now. We're pretty much finished. We're doing the, um, the final stages of analysis and the write-up. Are you, are you happy sharing what your guesstimate of findings? Yes. <laughs> and it, we won't hold you to it completely, but... Um, no, we're happy to share in this format, it's fine. So what we've found so far is people who lived in Christchurch, remembering that they have no psychological issues, they have a greater functional response, so their brain lights up a lot more to the not very nice pictures than the Dunedin people's mm-hmm. brains do, and it's primarily in the frontal cortex and the paracingulate, which is the bit right sort of in the processing executive function area of the brain and this is the part that controls um, I guess controls you in terms of inhibition and things like that so when you're feeling spectacularly stressed or you know really out of control it's that part of your brain that's supposed to kick in to just help you through that and our canary people have this huge functional over response in that region which suggests that they are just feeling a little bit more discombobulated than right. our Dunedin people. And so they're more exhausted, so that uses up more energy. They probably are more exhausted, I wouldn't be surprised. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we don't know if that's going to have any markers on their ageing prematurely. No, or we like don't. That. It would be really interesting to follow these people, you know, five years yes. after this assessment, because obviously we're 10 years post-quake now, so they would have been scanned at about the eight-year post-quake mark, which is quite different. But it also means they've had that eight years of adaptation to their environments and their brains might have just been this whole time trying to cope. So they're coping on the surface and the brain's just adapting to that level of coping. And I suppose you would never have thought we would then have the traumatic um, series of events we've had with mosque shootings and COVID lockdowns. Mm. That 
probably have compounded this area. Yeah, so we are looking at the COVID lockdown effect because, again, we got very lucky with this data and exactly half of Dunedin had been seen prior to the first lockdown last year. Exactly half. We'd just finished the halfway point when we went into lockdown. And so, sadly, we only have, I think, about 20 of them down there. So it's not enough to put in the MRI machine because we need quite a lot more than that to see any brain changes. But it is enough for the psych team to do all the assessments to basically measure the effect of being in lockdown during that period because we then saw 20 people post-lockdown. So we will be able to comment on that once that's all sorted. But, yeah, again, got lucky with the timing of that. And that might be a springboard for more research. Yeah, we, yeah. that could form a pilot to um, pull in more funding to look at that a bit more closely and see if there's a COVID lockdown effect. Is there an age? Did you have an age band for this research? We, um, Because we already had an existing group in Christchurch, we then had to age match in Dunedin because we didn't want our Dunedin cohort to be you know, much younger or much older. And so our group here is around the late 40s, early 50s sort of mark um, as a mean, but we do have quite a few people in their sort of 70s and 80s as well. Our youngest here is early 20s. So we tried to do the same in Dunedin where every person here was paired on age and sex. So they had their their, um, equivalent in the other group, which we almost managed to do. We're pretty close. Um, Because, I mean, this has got nothing to do with your research, but um, I think a lot of people would be interested how children of people that, you know, are in their 40s who may not have had not even been born when the earthquake happened, but are still being parented by people people are are affected. Yeah, that is a very interesting area, the translational research between parent and child. Especially, you know, there was a lot of horrible stories in Canterbury where a parent might have lost their workplace and, you know, their home and everything all in the space of a second. And then sadly here we had a huge schools reconfiguration shortly after the earthquake and a lot of children ended up in a merged school or a whole new school and all of these things just happened within 12 months. So yeah, there has been a little bit of work on primary school age children just in terms of sort of their resilience and coping um, post-quake, but not any brain research as yet in Canterbury on our kids, on our quake kids. Right. Uh, just if you've just joined us, it's Kelly Bain at the Neurological Foundation. I'm just talking here with Dr Nadia Borles and we're based in Christchurch and her research has been on post-traumatic stress post-earthquake. I think I'm trying to put it in layman's really terms. So how did you, if we can just change tact for a little bit, you st- whereabouts did you study? So I studied at the University of Canterbury. I did undergrad there and also my PhD was through Canterbury, but my PhD was primarily at the New Zealand Brain Research Institute right. in so, neuroscience. Yeah. So you have quite a sense of belonging and doing right by the yeah. people that you live with. Oh, I really wanted to come. I spent some time living in London um, well after the quakes. I was here for the quakes and then moved overseas about five years later. Mm. And I kept up with the research that was happening here, especially around this sort of thing, where the you know low-level stress and the widespread changes. I was really interested in the schools' changes because at the time I was working for the NHS in schools over there. So when I came back, I was really looking to do the research on 
the Canterbury quake effect, especially with a neuroimaging perspective, because that hadn't quite been done here yet when I returned. So we're really lucky that we have that relationship with the University of Otago and with the Neurological Foundation that we've got the ability to pitch a hair-brained idea on a half-done study somewhere else and, you know, get the funding to do the well, neuroimaging. There's the, what I think the Foundation probably saw was that the quality of science was high and the clinical outcome unlike a lot of research that we fund or that is that is done it's not going to be in 30 years you know it's quite a short time yeah it was a two-year project which has been extended due to COVID but yeah to this year (laughs) yes I know well we all lost a year anyway (laughs) didn't we some so nearing its end You've got findings that are looking fruitful mm-hmm. and that you can actually translate. Are you hoping that a ministry or community groups can use this for some funding or resourcing some areas? Like- oh, and that's the ideal, isn't it? It's, it's really easy to be locked away when you work on um, a neuroimaging project and just you know get stuck in your lab looking at numbers on a computer. But this stuff has a lot of public interest and a lot of validity. And again, because we're working so closely with a psychiatry team, we're hoping that this will lead into more translational stuff later down the track. You can't change policy in a matter of months, sadly, but, you know, everything like this just serves to raise awareness. And if we just get one or two more people that don't feel like they're failing because of the quakes, because obviously something is going is happening in your brain if we just get a few people to understand that really there's nothing they can do about these brain changes and there's nothing they've done to make this happen that would be quite enough for us just to increase the awareness well it's going to say increase the awareness with with your writing or your research document you'll be able to share that yeah absolutely so at least people have it in the back of their head yeah when they're dealing with somebody that as you say, don't meet all the boxes, mm. but still something isn't quite right. Mm. So where to from here for you after this? I guess I'll just keep applying for more funding. Yeah. <laughs> Have a wee bit of a break maybe, a bit yeah. of a holiday. So we'll publish this and then you know look at next steps in terms of the next step for the research. There's quite a bit going on um, with a few collaborations we have, and so we'll hope to extend this sort of idea, like the mm. idea of prevention, um, I don't know. I'd love to look at the translational effects, and especially with the children, because if we've got stressed children now that are under 10, they're going to grow into stressed adults, and it's just going to get worse every year. So, And would you apply the same research, like the same model of MRIing brains, or have you had some thoughts about what you'd... Haven't had um, lots of thoughts about that yet. You can MRI children, it's completely safe, it um, would be fine. The issue is that we don't want to traumatise children anymore and sadly the MRI machine is very loud and it shakes and it bangs exactly like an earthquake. Yes, so we right. don't want to induce PTSD. No. Um, so that needs a bit more thought. It's Yeah, it's tricky. But we also don't want a whole generation to grow up traumatised with no awareness that if they're not meeting clinical criteria for trauma that maybe there's still something going on there. Yes. And it's okay to I think trust yourself. If something's yeah. not feeling great and you've gone to the GP mm. because of it's not feeling great as you said mm. right at the start we want to solve those or, or put strategy around mm. 
some cotton bud support yeah. before it turns into something that is, yes, ticked all on the left-hand box. Yes, it's never good to be the ambulance at the bottom of no. the cliff. You want to be intervening well before mm. that point. But, yeah, it's just a matter of um, putting in the next steps to make that happen. But this will help in terms of evidence. Good. Well, it sounds really promising. And what I think as well is that, as I said earlier, just it's only a couple of years, you know, which... It's a couple of hard-earned years for you. But hopefully it can really help the community in Canterbury. And I think as well it will also help people... Because as we say, we've, we've had COVID since you started mm-hmm. this. That's baseline. A lot a lot of people are anxious about what... And the uncertainty. Yes. Yeah. So same sort of issues, different route of what, what it was, though. Have you got anything else that you'd really like, burning desire that you'd like everyone else to know about your research? Or Because we've kind of covered most no, of it. No, I just think the takeaway is that, you know, there can be brain changes without any clinical indicators, I think, is the, you know, like, there's something going on there, potentially, for most people. And just sit and listen to yourself, maybe. Mm, just trust yourself and know that it's not your fault either. You can't make your brain develop like this. It's your brain science. does what your brain does. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah. It's science. You didn't mean to break, you know, break your leg falling over the stairs. No. So this is the same yeah. thing. Well, thank you so much for your time. No, Always you. a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you've got any questions, um, please don't hesitate to email me. You can find my details on our website, which is neurological.org.nz. Thank you. Thank you. Many thanks again to our fantastic supporters at the Neurological Foundation for providing us with that interview and to our sponsors, the Nelson Clinic. Tune in to Heads Up, playing Thursday mornings following the BBC News at 9. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.